Well, good morning. It is absolutely great to be here with everybody this morning. Um, So real quick, I don't know if you know this about myself or not, but um, I did not go to school to be a pastor. Uh, I'm like my degree pretty much proved worthless, except that it was a lot of fun playing pickleball, badminton. Uh, I went to school for physical education. So if you're looking for a fun degree, go the physical education route. It's going to be a lot of fun, but obviously it's also going to be a lot of money for that fun. So maybe don't go that route, but there for a while, I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, I, the thought of like me doing brain surgery on people after like four cups of coffee when my hand is shaking is a little scary. Um, but it was like, you know, I, th- I think I want to be a doctor. Specifically, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And so one semester, I had to take a class, medical terminology, biological and medical terminology. So if you want to refer to me as Dr. Peterman from here on out, that would be great. Um, you know, you're more than welcome to. My ego probably is high enough already that would just boost it to the next level. So, uh, and I will respond with doctors so we can both be honorary doctors because I took this class, biological and medical terminology. It was a self-study. And so it was like, I had to study everything on my own. I had the book, I had all the terms and we had to, I think by mid semester, we had to have roughly a thousand terms memorized. And then we were going to memorize another thousand terms. And we were just going in to take like a great big terminology test of like, Hey, what is the pericardium? And that's the tissue around the heart. Got that one. See, I'm a hundred percent. I'm a doctor. So, uh, no insult to any doctors out there. I know our one doctor is not here right now. So I am the doctor on hand, I guess. But, uh, anyways, we have a whole lot of great nurses around that would help you way before you want me helping at all. Yes. But no, so I took this class and I had to learn all these, uh, terminology and everything. And I thought I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a great study habit. I'm going to like learn 10 new terms a night. And I'm going to be ready for that test come midterm. I knew that test was going to come. I was going to be prepared. I was going to pass it. So first night comes, I learned my first 10 terms, which apparently pericardium is one of them. And so it's like, I'm going to learn 10 next night comes. I learned one. And then the next night I did not open my book for the rest of the semester until that midterm came. And I was like, I'm going to ace this thing, even though I never studied another term the rest of the year. And I was like, I'm going to ace this test. I think I got like 54 of the terms right, which is a miracle in itself that I got 54 out of 200 correct. And, but you know, it was like, what's it called? Well, it's this. And, uh, anyways, so I did that and I failed. And so then it was like, all right, I'm going to try harder next time. I'm going to apply myself a little more. So uh, final comes, I'm thinking I'm a little more prepared because I flunked that one. I'm going to get this one. It did not go any better. I failed that class miserably. So I am not a doctor for anybody that somehow is wondering if he really is. It's a no. But so then I retook the test or the class because I thought I can't have an F. I'm going to try and do better. And so I retook the class trying to improve my grade. And I did the exact same thing. But somehow I squeaked out a little better of a grade. And I think I got a D or a C. It wasn't very good either way. So you do not want my help when it comes to medical stuff. My wife is who I will direct your attention to. 
But I share that because here I knew this test was coming. I knew that at the end of the year there was going to be this really big test. And I thought, I've got this. It's in the bag. Hey, I'm pretty much a doctor already. Just give me my diploma. Let me start going doing heart surgery and brain surgery. I'm good. I, I know pretty much everything. I'm ready. And then that test gate. <clears throat> Excuse me, that test came, and boy, did it catch me by surprise. I knew it was going to come, but it surprised me, and I failed it. And it's funny because we've been going through this book of Galatians where we've been seeing how Christ has set us free through everything. It has been the work of Jesus that we are set free. And Paul is going to close out the book by telling us, hey, there is a test that you can take. It's not like a test of if you pass this test or don't pass this test, it's heaven or hell because the only test for that is Jesus. It's not like Jesus and anything else. That's really what we've been trying to hit at is that Jesus and Paul have been telling us it is through the work of Jesus alone that any of us will be able to stand in front of God and say, this is how I got to heaven because of your son and the, the, the price that he paid on the cross. But there are still times in our life where we are called to kind of do a self-check on our own life. Because as we're told in Proverbs, the heart is a deceptive thing. And a lot of Christians are walking around thinking, hey, yeah, I believe that's good enough. I'm a Christian. That's good enough, isn't it? Isn't like I, I said, hey, you know, I got wet. I came up. I said, I do believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to go on and live life however I want to live it, claiming that Jesus is my Savior, but having no resemblance of it at all. And so what Paul is going to tell us is it, when we are truly set free, we don't live according to the ways of the world. When we truly have Christ in our life, when we are led by the Holy Spirit, our lives look different. We should not be blending in with the world, but instead we should be set apart. We should be holy as God is holy. And so what Paul is going to do in closing out this letter is he's pretty much going to say, hey, if you are set free, then you should see these things in your life. And if you are continuing to live in this slavery, maybe you're not really set free. Maybe you have not truly received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it was just something you said and not something that your heart really meant. Because Jesus even says, you know, hey, these Pharisees, they honor me with their lips. They look beautiful on the outside. He says they're like whitewashed tombs. They're a beautiful thing to look at outside, but on the inside, they are dead. So Jesus doesn't just want lip service. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us to be given over to him and and that is how he sets us free. And so he's going to give us the mark of freedom in three things. And we're going to start in Galatians uh, 5, starting in verse 16. And we're going to go through 610. And so if you're able to stand, if you would please do so as we open up God's word and see what it has to say. And then we'll also open up in prayer. So Paul says in Galatians 5.16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the, things, or, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that you, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he also will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of the faith. Father God, we thank you so much again, just that we are able to come together this morning, gather as a body of believers, and with one voice, lift up praises to you. And then God, that we can hear the reading of your word collectively, that we can hear what your word has to say. And so God, as we, as we have read it and now as we dive into it, God, let us test ourselves. Let us look inside and see, God, are we being led by you or are we being led by our flesh and by the desires of the world? So God, I just pray that you speak to us here and now. Use me as the vessel that delivers your word. And we love you so much. We thank you that you are a living and active God. And so we just entrust this message over to you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we say this. Amen. Thank you. And so we've been studying through this whole series. And if if you have missed some, you're welcome to go back. We have them online. You're able to catch up and see what freedom in Christ is like and what it truly means. Because one of the things that I've really tried hitting a lot is to, to not follow the world's definition of freedom, but instead follow what God's definition of freedom is. Because again, the world views freedom as I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. You have no right to tell me that what I am doing is wrong because I am free. Whereas God's definition of freedom is actually the definition of submitting to Christ. To actually taking the words of God and applying them to your life. James tells us, do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So don't just listen to this and be like, "Mm, amen, Dr. Peterman, those were some good words today. But instead, leave here and be like, God, how can I apply this to my life? Let me not just hear it, but let me be a doer of it. 
And so true freedom is not just, well, I, I confessed my, my sins. I said, yes, I am a sinner, Jesus. I need you to die for my sins. Now I'm just going to continue and live in whatever sins I feel like living. That is not true freedom. But true freedom is, Jesus, you gave the price that I was supposed to pay. Galatians 3.13 says, he became a curse for me. He did what I could not do. And so because of that, God, I submit to you. I give you my life. And I'll tell you, there's so much freedom in that. That, God, you call the shots. Boy, I have freedom now to live within your will. And so now Paul, he is going to tell us that if we are walking in submission to the spirit, he is going to say we cannot walk in submission to the flesh. He's going to debunk that view that I can claim Jesus as my savior and still do whatever I want over here. Because the two are like oil and water. They do not mix. They, they have a, an explosion. You cannot live according to the spirit and live according to the world. It's going to be this constant turmoil. And honestly, I heard it said one time that this is probably the reason so many Christians are not finding joy. Because it's like, man, I hear of the joy that God offers, but at the same time, I want to have one foot in the world. And it's like you're, you're torn, you're constantly torn. It's like, hey, you know what? I really want to look at these images, but every time I do, I just feel so convicted because God is still working on you. And the way that you'll feel freedom is to stop and submit to God. And so you cannot live according to the world and according to the spirit of God. Paul plainly tells us that in Galatians 5, 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. If you allow the spirit to lead you, you will not be giving in to the desires of the flesh. It's like, man, I keep every night at 10 o'clock, my phone kicks on and it's like, man, I'm going to look at this or I'm going to do this or I'm going to think about this. And Paul's like, hey, be led by the spirit because you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so true freedom is going to be found in giving ourselves completely over to the spirit, living according to the spirit. And then Paul says, here is a checklist that you can do to see, hey, am I actually being led by the spirit or am I being led by the flesh? He says in Galatians 5, 19, he says the works of the flesh, they're evident. You can know if you are living according to this flesh because he says the word evident. It's going to show itself. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warn you, and I've warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That final verse should be a wake-up call. Because everybody who's like, hey, yes, I I said a prayer and I got wet. That's enough to cover it. But I'm going to live according to these. Paul says, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's like, wait a minute. I want to keep living according to the flesh. Well, Paul's saying, look out. 
because you're not being led by the Spirit. They're at war. If you can comfortably be over here living in the world, and I'm not making a judgment call on you, I'm saying you should do some internal reflecting of if you can comfortably live over here in the world and say, you know what, God, I know you say this. Who cares? I'm going to live over here. You should check your heart and see who is leading you. Because there's a difference between like being torn over here. Like there's that constant push and pull of like the world's going to constantly, even after you give your life to Christ. And even after you're being led by the spirit, the world's going to be like, oh, but look at this. It's so beautiful. It's so shiny. Come for it. There's going to be that pull on you. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's that moment of weakness where it's like, okay, I shouldn't have done that. I'm living, I'm convicted, I'm going to confess. I'm saying that you are like, God, I don't care. I'm going to live over here. Check your heart. I would just warn you, check your heart. I'm not making a judgment call. I'm, that's up to God and you, but do some soul searching to see, am I being led by the spirit or am I being led by the flesh? Because Paul says it is evident if you are living in this way, it is evident that that is the work of the flesh and not the work of the spirit. And that's not what modern teachings tell. A lot of modern churches are saying that, oh, God loves you just how you are. You go ahead and keep on living how you are. God loves you. God accepts you. And God is for you. And it's like, there's truth to that. But man, there is a whole lot of lie. God loves you how you are, but God does not want you to stay the same. God doesn't even want me to stay the same. God wants me to continue to grow in my walk with him. God wanted Paul to continue to grow in his walk with him. God does not want his people to be like, God, I have reached the point. I am there. I'm done. And so God loves you. Yes. Look at the cross. That is the, the, the symbol of God's love. But God did not say, now just stay as you are. God wants to do a work in your lives. And really, it's not God loves you as you are. It's God loves you despite how you are. Amen. We're not lovable people. We like to think we are. But God loves us despite who we are. Amen. It's like, man, how could you love somebody like that? I don't know, but God loves me the same. So much so that he gave his only begotten son for me, for you, for Adolf Hitler, for every single person. God gave his son for them. So God desires for us to stop living for ourselves, but to instead live for him. Because every time that we decide to live for ourselves, what we are truly saying is I'm God and you're not. I'm God. I've got it all figured out. I know, God, I know your word. Like, we've been watching an, another uh, clip of American Gospel. And a lot of times what you'll hear, they actually have a postmodern uh, preacher on there. And a lot of times what you hear him say is, well, the Bible's just wrong in that. And it's like, oh, dear. Because really what you're saying is, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Because here, at least my belief is that God's word is true. God's word is what we are going to base our lives off of. And so I will never say, I, I hope not, that the Bible's wrong. But it's always going to be, you're wrong, and I'm wrong, and anybody that contradicts God's word is wrong. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say, no, the Bible's not wrong, instead I'm wrong. 
But there's this view that, hey, the Bible's wrong, and so I get to do what I want because my feelings are what's right. Man, again, Proverbs says, the heart is deceitful and a man's ways lead to destruction. Every time I have followed my feelings away from God's word, it has not once led me to life. It has not once led me to joy or happiness. Not even like maybe a temporary happiness followed by a long road of regret. But following God's word has led me to true joy. And so I'm not God, and we have to constantly remind ourselves that we're not God. Because it's like the war of gods of, is God going to sit on his throne? Or am I going to be like, God, get off there. Let me sit on the throne. I'm going to run the shot in my life. I'm going to call the shots. And so it's not, and again, it's not this just struggle with these things because we do give in. Like, boy, it would be wonderful if I could tell you, you're going to be perfect from here on out. You will never sin again. It's probably not going to happen. But thanks be to God that there is grace. Thanks be to God that he still forgives us. But again, this is not a struggle. This is a blatant, I don't care, God. What you say, I'm going to be led by the flesh. It's going to guide me. It's going to control my thoughts. And so Paul says, if you are being led by the flesh, this is what it looks like. And then he says, but if you're being led by the spirit, this is what it looks like. In verse 22 through 23, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And so if we've given our lives over to Christ, we will not live according to these sexual or these worldly or these fleshly desires, but instead we will live with love. We will live with joy. And it's not a list of multiples. It's like all of this is the fruit of the Spirit. All of this encompasses what the Spirit is. So when you are controlled by the Spirit, you will see yourself being more and more filled with these things. These are the marks of a believer, the marks of somebody who has given their life to Christ. And again, the world and the new teachings are like, well, we, we can't judge somebody based off their works. That's not, we can't do that. Well, Jesus even tells us in Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount, verse six, uh, chapter 7, verse 16, he says, you're going to recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And so if you're like, hey, I believe in Jesus. Let me live my life however I want. Your fruit is showing that it's not really in Jesus. Uh, James tells us in James chapter, uh, I think it's two. Let me find it. Yes, James chapter two. He says, you know, you say you believe in God, good. Even the demons believe. We've been going through Mark in our evening services and we've been seeing every time that Jesus encounters a demon, they are like, what are you gonna do with us, son of God? We know exactly who you are, Jesus. The demons believe and they shudder. And so many Christians are like, I believe in God. We don't even shudder. We don't even have this holy fear or reverent fear of God of like, man, he has set a standard and I am blatantly not going to live according to that standard. 
And so when we confess Jesus as our Savior, we give our lives over to him and therefore we allow him to lead us. We allow him to guide us and his spirit works in us and therefore we will see this fruit in our lives. And so if you are a Christian, if you have been set free, you are going to bear the fruit of the spirit in your life. And then Paul, he tells us another mark of a Christian that when we have been set free, we now help other people. We stop having this self-focused view and we start looking beyond ourselves. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And so the thing is that when Christ sets us free, it is not for us to get the glory. It is not for us to get the attention. It is for Jesus to get everything. We give it all over to him. I've, you know, if you read through the Bible, there's a couple times where you see crowns that believers are going to receive. You're going to receive the crown of life. You're going to receive, like, teachers get a crown. There's, I think, like five or seven crowns that believers are going to be able to receive. And it's always like, man, am I going to be like, well, you know, John Doe over here, he got a cooler crown than me. When I get to heaven, is it going to be like, boy, I, his has a nicer gym, God. It's like, No. Because I heard one pastor say, when I get to heaven, I'm not even going to care about the crown on my head. I'm going to want to give everything back to God. That's how it should be here, where we give Christ everything. We give him all our lives. It is for his glory that we live. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I don't live for myself. I don't even live for my family, for my parents, for my friends, for my career. It is no longer I who live, but instead it is now Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. So now that we live for Christ, we give ourselves over to Christ. And so we seek to obey him in which he commands us to help out our brothers. So if we see a brother caught in a transgression, we go and we help restore them. This is a responsibility that we have to our brothers and sisters to help them out through this life. Again, I've said it before, and I know it's, you know, for a lot of people, not the most wonderful news to hear. We are not called to be isolationists. We are called here by Paul, commanded to go and bear one another's burdens. We're told in, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.20, that we, or 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so the number one burden that a lot of people have is they are not walking with Christ. They do not have Jesus. They have no relationship with him. And we are ambassadors. This is not our home. We are in a foreign territory called to proclaim the message of the cross. We are called to go and help people be reconciled with Christ. 
either by sharing the gospel with them or if they already have received the gospel, helping them through their burdens. And man, again, if I could get rid of a part of the Bible that I did not like, this probably would be it. But I can't because again, the Bible's right. And so we are called to bear one another's burdens. Yeah, but it's hard. We're called to bear one another's burdens. Yeah, but it's going to discomfort me. You're making too much of this world. You're called to bear one another's burdens. Yeah, but what if I offend them? You're called to bear one another's burdens. You're called, before anything, to be obedient to Christ. And so we bear one another's burdens. But notice, they are caught in a transgression. They pretty much, what that is saying is they are still slaves to a sin. They have been caught up in it. It is dragging them down. It'd be like if you were um, on a boat, I was on a boat yesterday. If you were on a boat and you saw a friend caught in seaweed down under the water and they are drowning and you are just like, help yourself. They can't do it. Or if you were like, hey, come to the boat, get up here and I'll help you. They can't do it. So in order to bear a burden, we have to go. The way to save that person is by diving in and helping them out, putting your own life at risk, getting rid of your own comforts and saying, let me meet you where you're at because you are not coming to the boat. And so to think that bearing a burden is when I see them on Sunday morning, I'll notice something's wrong. Hey, are you okay? I'll pray for you. So often that's where it stops. I'll pray for you. And then we don't even go on to pray for people. It's just like, I'll say the kind hearted thing to pray for you. And I'm not saying anything wrong. I I better not say anything wrong about prayer. Prayer is an amazing thing. But I think so often we fall back on prayer as a crutch of like, well, I'll pray for you. Well, my life's in shambles. Well, I will pray that you get it figured out. And God's like, no, go help them. I called you to bear their burden. You can't bear their burden. It's like weightlifting. If they have 300 pounds and their max is 200, that weight is going to drop on their chest. And if all you do is, I'm praying for you, that weight's not coming up. If all you do is yell at them, lift more, they might be like, I'm trying, and it gets nowhere until you actually, let me help you get that weight off. Let me hands-on approach help you. So we are called to bear a burden. And a lot of people are caught in guilt. A lot of Christians, notice it says that if a brother is caught in a transgression, if, or he's talking to the brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. And so the thing is, is a lot of times we think, hey, yeah, church is the place they should be. And I 100% agree with that. That if you are struggling, which I'm pretty sure every Christian is at some point in their life, if you are struggling, this is a place for you to be. We talked about this is not a country club, it's a hospital where hurting and broken people should come. But the problem is, and I've experienced this in my own life, anytime I blatantly disobey God, it's not like, well, I want to go find a Christian person and tell them all the ways that I have just struggled. That's not what happens. Instead, it's like I want to hide in my closet and I just want to cry and I don't want anybody to see my brokenness. And then when I go to church, I'm going to be like, I am good. This week was amazing. I only sinned 50 times. Like the week before it was 52. So little improvement here. 
And it's like, no, we need to go find them because a lot of people are not even going to come to the church. They're going to be like, my life is a wreck. I can't go be with those holy people, so I'm going to stay home. And so we need to be like, hey, I noticed you weren't here Sunday. What is going on? And they're like, uh, we're just busy. A lot of times cover up for we're really struggling with something that we don't feel like we can be with those people. And it's like, no, let me help you out here. Let me, I'm coming over. We're going to talk about this. Nah, nah, don't come over. I don't care. You are far too important to me for your marriage, for your friendship, for your relationship with God, for whatever, for your purity, whatever it is, you are far too important for me to just say, yep, good enough. Go for it. Be happy. Go. We should not do that. So we go to them, but we're led by the Spirit. And notice it says a spirit of gentleness. I like how Paul throws in that word because that's kind of a, an adjective that we need to learn. Because a lot of times we're not gentle when we do it. We go in and we think they need solid truth. So I'm just going to go in. I'm going to take my Bible and just bash them over the head and tell them everything they are doing wrong. And so instead what we do is we destroy them with the Bible. And they leave like, I really don't want to go to church now. We don't restore them, we destroy them. Or what we do is we excuse it or we ignore it. We're like, hey, you're good, just keep doing that. But instead, Paul says we restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Jesus exemplified this perfectly. In John chapter 8, the woman caught in the middle of adultery, she comes, she's naked, standing in front of Jesus. All the Pharisees and the religious people, they're like, we should stone her. Jesus, the law says that we should stone her, but you know, you've been preaching this forgiveness, so which one is it, God? Should we go, or, or Jesus, should we go against what the law says? And so, I mean, we should speak truth, but you're speaking grace. Which one is it? And Jesus responds in John 8, 10 through 11. He stands up because he knew the exact thing to wipe out the crowd, get them all away. And he says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And again, Jesus is the only person that can have a stone and throw it. But yet his hands are empty. He doesn't have a rock in his hand. He says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And so Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. The perfect example of he led with grace. Hey, I'm not throwing a stone at you. I know you are sinful and broken, but I'm not going to condemn you. But stop living this life. If you want your life to get better, live according to my word and sin no more. And so we actually have to help them because James in James chapter two uh, gives this example. He says, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And he gives an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says such beautiful words, go in peace, I hope you be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so again, if we're just like, hey, I pray that things get better for you, but I'm not about to come wreck my own life to help you and yours. What good is that? There is power in prayer. I am not knocking prayer. What I am knocking is the Christian's mindset just to just fall back on that and say, I don't need to help you because I prayed for you. 
Whereas in Galatians 6.1, Paul clearly tells us, bear one another's burdens. But we must do this with humility. Galatians 6, 2 through 3, Paul continued on and he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you think you're something, when you're actually nothing, you deceive yourselves. Because the knee-jerk reaction is going to be to go in and be like, (laughs) you poor, miserable people. Let me help you because I got it all figured out. So I'll show you what a perfect life looks like. When Paul actually says, you are nothing. You are nothing. And so he says, be careful because pride is going to try and sneak in. And you're going to try and think, I got this all figured out. Let me go be the hero. The hero is Jesus. We go and point them to Jesus. Because we are nothing. And so pride's going to sneak in, and then we're going to start playing the comparison game. And so Paul, through this whole book, he has been like talking about, hey, you're free from the law. And so all of a sudden, he now says, actually, hey, everybody, if you really want to live according to the law, you, here, here, if you want to say, I have fulfilled the law, it's in this. Love your neighbor and bear his burden, and you will fulfill the law. He says, in this is the law fulfilled. And so Paul says, hey, if, you, if you're truly set free, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear another's burdens. And then lastly, he says, you are going to bear good works. He says, hey, I know it's hard. I know that it is hard to live on the straight and the narrow and on the difficult path. It's hard. Don't give up. He ends this letter by saying, keep on fighting the good fight. In verse 9 through 10, he says, let us not grow weary of doing good. And in today's society, it is easy to be like, man, am I the only one that is doing good? Am I the only one on this fight of faith? Elijah dealt with it. He was like, God, I'm the only one that hasn't knelt a knee to Baal. I'm the only one, God. And God's like, hold up. There's 7,000 that I have not, that I have preserved as well. You're not alone. So don't give up. Even when it seems like you're alone, fight the good fight. Do not grow weary in doing good. That's going to be the reaction. Is it it worth it? That's why I think this gathering is so important. Because you came from a week of living in the world. And you're about to enter into another week of living in the world where you're hearing negativity, where you're hearing uh, just seeing what looks like the fun of the world. And it's like, man, really? Uh, Is me like saving my purity? Is that worth it? When I see old Jimmy over here living up the good life, is it worth it? Don't give up. Continue to do good. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Continue. Even if, I think Cherokee County has like 19,000 people in it. Even if 18,866 of them, I did the math real quick. 19,866 do evil. I hope this 134 right here keeps doing good. Even if they mock us, oh, you Bible holders. Uh, I was talking to Ross. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing this. He said he got called a Bible thumper this last week. And it's like, it wasn't an ins- or it wasn't a compliment, but yet he was like, it's probably one of the best compliments I've ever received 
He needs to hold fast. Even when people are like, man, you little snotty little Christians, you, you guys do good and you help people and you're humble and man, keep doing good. Even when the world's like, hey, just sleep with him. It's fine. Keep doing good. Even when the world's like, dude, it's just one night where you get drunk. Keep doing good. Even when the world is like, hey, just talk about them. Like, hey, have you heard about what they're doing? Keep doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. And it can feel burdensome. Which we go back to verse 1. Bear, or verse 2 actually, bear one another's burden. Don't just do good though. Live according to God's word. Because Confucius, he said a really good saying. Do not do to anybody anything you would not want them to do to you. And so if you don't want punched upside the head, don't punch somebody upside the head. If you don't want your car stolen, don't steal somebody else's car. Like, it's, it's a very passive thing. Like, just don't, don't do to people what you don't want done to you. Like, we really do a good job of trying to teach our kids that. Like, you don't want hit, don't hit somebody. But Jesus changed the wording of that. And he even made it more on the active sense. He said, do to others what you want, them, what, what you want done to you. Actually seek it out and be like, boy, I would love if somebody would message me right now. All right, I'm going to pull out my phone and I'm going to message somebody. Boy, I would love to have a freshly baked cake delivered to my door. All right, let me whip it up and I'm going to deliver it to somebody. How can we actively look to help other people, to do good to them? Again, our perspective has got to get outside of looking at ourselves and looking out to the world beyond us. And so Paul seems or sees that we can grow weary in this. And he says, hey, don't give up. Keep doing it. Even if it costs you friendships, do good. Even if it costs you a career, because a lot of careers are going to be like, hey, if you cut corners here, you can excel so much quicker. And it's like, no, I cannot do that. I'm going to do the right thing. Even if it costs you your career, do good. Even if it costs you your social status, do good. And then Paul, he finishes by telling us not to neglect our own people. In verse 10, he says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So we should be doing good to everyone. But he says, especially those who are of the household of faith. Because usually our family is the very first ones that we lose a temper with. Usually, like, my immediate family, like, I'm trying to, like, help and be good and be nice to other people that when I get with my family, there's no wall set up. And so I just start devouring. It's like, oh my goodness, don't talk to me right now. I can't handle any of this. Like, I'm just, ah. That's pretty much what happens in my head. We devour those closest to us. But instead, Paul's saying, hold up, don't devour those closest to you. You should actually make it a focus to especially be good to one another. Because again, I've said it before, the outside world is looking at the church. They should. And they're looking to see, hey, these people claim all this stuff. Are they living their lives based on it? What does that look like? How does that look? And if they're looking in, a lot of times what they see is bickering. They see division. They see cliques. They see hatred. 
They see just like, well, I'm not even going to obey God's word. And so instead, we should be paying attention to show the world, hey, you want to know what love looks like? Don't, don't look at Hollywood. Look at the church. You want to know what leadership looks like? Don't look in the White House. Look in the church. God's people should be leading the way in everything. We are called to do that. And so Paul makes special attention to this. He says, as we have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. We should have a tight-knit bond right here. There's a saying, well, blood is thicker than water. And that saying originally came from family ties are so much closer than the spiritual baptism ties. And it shouldn't be that way. Yes, family ties should be close because I hope family units are coming together. But there should be something so special about what we have right here. That if people outside aren't seeing it, are we truly living it? Are we truly having it? Or are we, again, just coming and doing church? Because if we're just doing church, we're going to start devouring each other. We're going to start thinking it's about me. It's about my comfort. And when anything goes against that, I'm out. I'm done because it's about me. But instead, we should be looking, how can I help other people, especially do not neglect one another here. And don't just say, I'll pray for you and call it good. Let's get in the dirt with each other. Let's truly come together. And that's what this community group tomorrow night, and that's what this evangelism group next Sunday night, and that's what this discipleship group that we had, that is what this is trying to do. Make us a better people for God. Trying to figure out how can we do that? How can we help each other grow in God's word? How can we help each other bear one another's burdens? And how can we help each other take the Great Commission seriously? Because it's not about us, but it's all about God. Again, we started by saying this. Our Christian life is for his glory alone, not for us. Because John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A lot of times we forget about that. And we think it's about us. Well, I was good enough. Paul, he said it in Galatians uh, verse 3. He said, if anyone thinks he is something, when in reality he's nothing. There's a song that I don't know who sings it. It's a popular one on uh, Christian radio right now. But it goes, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. We are all just nobodies trying to live for Christ in everything we do. It's all about him. It is all for his glory and his glory alone. Let's be a church that stops looking at ourselves, but instead bears the marks of true freedom, bearing one another's burdens, bearing the fruit of the spirit and bearing good works. Even if we stand alone, do not grow weary in doing good. Father God, we thank you that you sent your son. God, we thank you. None of this is possible on our own. God, we cannot just say, hey, I think I'm going to start bearing good works and being a better person and all that stuff. We will fall short unless we give it over to you. God, you call for submission to you. 
And so I just pray that if there be anybody out here, that if we were to look at our lives, which you have called us to do, you told us to test ourselves. God, if we do that and we see I am living for the flesh, God, work in our hearts. Help us submit. Help us give everything over to you. And so, God, if there be anybody that is living according to the flesh, speak to them. But, God, also those of us who might be living according to the Spirit, God, let us walk in humility. Let us see what you have called us to do so that we can help bear their burdens. God, may we realize we are nothing, but you are everything. And so therefore you ask for us to give you everything. So God, whatever it is that you are calling your people to do, I just pray that you give them the courage to respond to what it is that you are asking. And it is in the name of Jesus.